This is Radio Guy Reflection. 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 I'm living on the air in Cincinnati. So just sit right down, relax, open your ears real wide, and say, Give it to me straight, doctor. I can take it. Here's a complete disc jockey show with all the modern pace of today's exciting radio. So, you guys hear anything good on the radio lately? On November the 2nd, 1920, the first radio station, KDKA of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, signed on the air. Over the years, radio has changed from radio dramas and live performances to the age of the disc jockey. From the man many believe popularized the term rock and roll, Alan Freed, and legendary radio personalities like Wolfman Jack, Dick Clark, Charlie Tuna, Don Imus, and the men who made talk radio what it is today, Rush Limbaugh, Howard Stern, Sean Hannity, and Glenn Beck. Hi, I'm Dave Denton. I'm a radio guy, and even went by that name on the air in Missouri. I'm a radio veteran who started spinning records in 1974 and have seen the industry change from 45s to LPs, carded music, CDs, and now music on hard drives. In this podcast, We'll take a look back, not only at my career, but other men and women who have worked in radio entertaining you. This is Radio Guy Reflections. Radio Guy Reflections is brought to you by Dave's Voice Works. Radio, on-air, commercials, narrations for video projects. Email for information at ddenton at gmail.com. And coming soon, daysvoiceworks.com. Works is spelled W-O-R-X. Past editions of Radio Guy Reflections are available on most podcast platforms under Turnbuckle Trash, but soon they will. you can subscribe under Radio Guy Reflections. Salt Lake City radio personality Rebecca Cressman recently joined us with a great story about Gladys Knight. Eric Colley, who's parlayed radio and television work to become a political press secretary and now working with small businesses. Today, we are joined by three of my favorite talk show personalities. First off, Tom Grover, a Las Vegas attorney now, who worked in radio and started a very successful local political talk show called For the People on Logan Radio Station KVNU. He is a fan of the Nebraska Cornhuskers, Utah State Aggies, (laughs) and the Utah Jazz. Tom, thanks for being with us on Radio Guy Reflections, man. I appreciate it a lot. Well, Dave, this is such a cool project that you've undertaken, and, uh, you know, just a lot of fun to be invited to come on. Uh, I just was listening to that Rebecca Cressman interview this morning, and was so interesting, and I look forward to uh, hearing more of you. It's just a, a, a great love of radio. There's certain uh, a bug, as, as you said uh, in that interview with Rebecca, that some people get, and it's fun to hear people talk about that. So, Tom, would you introduce our next guest, because he was your co-host? Yes. Uh, so, Ryan Yonk and I have been uh, close friends, best friends even, for 
um, let's see, almost uh, 25 years now. Don't do the math, Grover. (laughs) 25 years. Since since we were attending Mountain Crest High School in Hiram, Utah, and uh, when I had the opportunity to start the show, it was uh, pretty instinctual that I'd invite Ryan to be part of this and be my partner in it not just because he's my best friend, but because he's um, such a, a policy wonk and understands politics better than just about anybody that I know. And so it was, uh, a, a, our friendship was, was made to do this radio show for a, a couple of years. And uh, we had a lot of fun doing it together. And Ryan, thanks you so much for doing it with us. Go ahead and tell us what, what's Ryan doing now. Uh, So, uh, currently, I uh, work at North Dakota State University in Fargo, where I run uh, the undergraduate programs with uh, a a policy research center here, Um, and I work as a, basically, I'm an academic. I went off to be a professor after I left. I went to grad school when Tom went to law school, Uh, and since then, I've been studying public policy and training the the next generation of policy wonks. At least that's the goal. Thank you for joining us. And also joining us is the current host of For the People on KVNU. He is a computer consultant and a computer whiz, and he loves pop culture, and he's also a fellow fan of professional wrestling. Jason Williams, who's been on my other podcast called Turnbuckle Trash, and I've been on your show, For the People, on the pop culture area talking about pro wrestling Jason, thanks for being part of Radio Guy Reflections. Hey, it's great to be a part of it, and I appreciate the invitation. And I have to say quickly that uh, as, as the current host of For the People, there hasn't been a single day in the last 12 years that I haven't thought about filling Tom and Ryan's shoes, which is impossible to do, actually. But it, wow. it's something that, it's a legacy that has never, ever left the KVNU studio. Everyone trying to remember those glory days and, and recreate them as best we can, which we've never really been able to do, but <laughs> I thought you were saying they no had way. big feet or something. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that, that too. <laughs> the, truth, though, the truth though is Ryan and I did that show for about two and a half years and, and Jason has done it now for a decade and it is Jason's show. Um, and, and I am such a huge fan of it. I still listen to it, um, you know, like a couple times a week when I'm being able to do it. And I'm just so glad that he's kept it going for so long and that it's you know, so uh, influential. And a lot of the things that he's done to expand it, you know, he's got a um, regular feature he has the mayor of Logan on and it's really expanded the way that it's a community hub for people to tell their stories or exchange ideas and to be heard. And uh, I, I'm a fan of that, and I admire that, Jason. Yeah, it, it's, been fun that. To, it's been fun to watch, uh, first of all, for it to survive, because uh, this crazy notion that, that, Tom, that Tom had and then I helped him uh, execute on um, – it was a fun day when he called and said, I'm doing a radio show and you're doing it with me. That's about how it went. <laughs> um, but much like the interview tonight, I, again, I agreed to do all sorts of things because Tom says, you need to jump on the phone and talk about this. Um, I'm not sure what that says about my judgment, but it says something. Uh, normally it's worked out. Uh, but no, it's been fun to watch. I mean, 
uh, Tom, I don't think there was a chance we'd have ever gotten an elected official degree to come on with us every every week or even every month. <laughs> I just yeah. don't think they'd have agreed to it. <laughs> I've learned the power of the guilt trip. That's the, the greatest tool in radio. Oh, no, sure, you don't have to come on. Oh. <laughs> but, you know, Jason, you do a very fine job with that, and we're going to talk more about uh, local talk radio and how difficult it can be, but it's especially in a smaller community like Logan, Utah. But today I wanted to yeah. start off talking about uh, the legend that we lost earlier this month. We lost Rush Limbaugh. Now, we're not going to talk a lot about his politics because I really don't want you know to, to start arguing politics on, on this. I want to talk about a little bit, get each one of your feelings about the role that Rush Limbaugh had in shaping today's talk radio. I said the day he died that Rush Limbaugh saved AM radio completely because he made the AM radio band pertinent again in the minds of listeners. Up to that time, oh, absolutely, yeah, it was uh, it was just music format, music format, and they were dying on AM radio. So, first off, your thoughts on the man Rush Limbaugh? We're going to start with the nicest liberal I've ever met. Jason Williams. Hi, Jason, tell us about Rush Limbaugh and your thoughts there. I can actually, I can put the, the politics quickly aside for all of us because uh, I can't, I, I don't think there is a single thing that I agreed with what Rush Limbaugh on throughout his entire career or my life, but I can't think of another person that um, just embodies uh, that this mix of of news opinion and entertainment in a way that really kind of captures for better or worse the the modern media market uh, but this is a guy who started doing this um, 20 years before it really caught on elsewhere and made it a success and it's he's an amazing individual to me the the empire that he built and and the longevity and and freshness of this three-hour show is just absolutely amazing to me. I have so much respect for the man for the work he did. I know that uh, he he would, I think, uh, himself probably uh, uh, be more humble about it. Um, some of the things I'd read in you know personal interviews he'd done, uh, he he'd not been one to to feel that he was this mogul, but he really was. And and he, I think, as far as talk radio goes, I can't imagine what the future of talk radio had been or would have been had Rush not come along when he did because it was um, really kind of on its way out. And yeah, he, I think his show uh, was, was the turning point and it uh, brought this, this medium up to where, um, you know, unique, sh unique local shows like for the people and others that exist in, in the region where I'm at, uh, they wouldn't exist. There wouldn't be the money for them to be, to exist if it weren't for Limbaugh's influence. Uh, Ryan, uh, your thoughts on the late Rush Limbaugh? Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, much like Jason, I don't know that there were all that many things I agreed with Rush on. I could probably find, you know, three or four over the years because I'm not, I'm, I'm a libertarian, not a liberal. So uh, I, I'm guessing Rush said some things about taxes I might agree with. But uh, <laughs> but it, but in but in general, um, setting aside the politics um, and some of the, because I think part of what Rush's legacy is. Is, is somewhat destructive in terms of a populist message. But in terms of radio, there's really no one who at the moment they changed the rules about the Ferris doctrine. So there's both a policy piece to this, 
So they changed the rules in the Reagan administration to make it so radio has a chance of surviving. Because it was radio, especially talk radio, was doomed so long as uh, the fairness doctrine was the standard policy. Um, it was a non-market approach to what should be on the air, and consumers weren't buying it. They just weren't. Um, and then at the time the policy changed, Rush comes along and begins to be able to actually do a show that people want to listen to. Uh, and whether or not you agree with him or disagree with him um, in terms of his opinions, he put on a show that whether you loved him or hated him, you could listen to, and you could either nod along or you could shout at the radio, but he kept you listening. Um, and sure. one of the funnest things was uh, was picking up the Rush Limbaugh audience uh, when we were doing For the People. So we're, we're not quite as liberal. We weren't quite as liberal as Jason is. Uh, we were pretty hardcore <laughs> libertarians at the time. Um, but we would blow we would blow these people's minds. But they were coming in attentive and had been paying attention, uh, and it was fun to to engage with them. So, I mean, in terms of both his style on the air uh, and his ability to perform, he's one of the greats. Um, and I I think Jason's right that modern talk radio doesn't exist without it. Uh, it just it the genre would be gone. I think I think AM radio would have would have would have essentially ceased to exist or been uh, really really niche markets. Right now, uh, I I put it on my Facebook page after Rush died that one of the things that I I think that a lot of the critics of Rush Limbaugh and he had plenty of them and I didn't agree with everything he said by any means, but he he oftentimes would say this little same. He explained the absurd by being absurd. So, Tom Grover, uh, once again, Tom, uh, talk about Rush Limbaugh and how he influenced, and I'm basing this question on what you posted that day on uh, your Facebook page. Well, you know, I'll go back and say that I'm a bit of a nerd because I started listening to Rush when I was about 10 or 11 or 12, probably 11 or 12 years old in, in Logan, Utah, where I'm from and where you still live, Dave. Back then, Rush was on KLGN, and KLGN at the time played music all day, except for from 10 to 1 when Rush Limbaugh was on. And uh, I remember in the summer, I'd go, and my grandpa had to have me do odd jobs and chores at some of his rental properties. And I remember listening to uh, Rush on my battery-powered Walkman with my you know, the cheapo headset they had back then. And the thing about Rush that in terms of radio that made him really great is he made the broadcast feel like a big community. And the show from its inception uh, up until he left had its own lingo. Um, you know, in the beginning years, the callers would, would wish him dittos or mega dittos. And, of course, he had a million fun nicknames, whether it was El Rushbo or Maha Rushi or, uh, you know, some, some of the other ones. And, of course, all of the little catchphrases um, that were over the top and really self-deprecating but still funny. You know, I say, half my brain tied behind my back just to make it fair. Kicked mm -hmm. on loan from God. And the way he would say God was just just fantastic god. and so yeah god um, and so when you listened you felt like you were part of 
a movement or a community, and he was a friend. He achieved that kind of intimacy. And when he first went on the air, or at least became syndicated nationally in the late 80s and early 90s, like Ryan said, this was fresh after the Fairness Doctrine had been repealed, which required if you're going to give a conservative 50% of the time, you got to give a liberal 50% of the time. And that was not really a formula for drawing in audiences. And Rush played a very important role at that time because this was before uh, news and information and debate really took off online. You know, the Internet didn't really come along commercially until the mid-'90s. And it didn't really become a place where um, ideas were being exchanged until, I don't know, five or seven years later or maybe even more. And social media didn't take off until the mid to late 2000s. And so the time Rush became syndicated, the media landscape was just traditional media. It was newspapers and network TV and CNN, and that was it. And all of those outlets had a little bit of a left lean to it. And so you didn't really have a voice that, that spoke for conservatives. And so that's why part of why Rush caught on with, with, such, um, you know, with such fire because he knew how to build a community and, and you know, get the lingo going, the inside lingo, and it was fun and upbeat and fresh and different, and it was a counterbalance by himself against all of the media. And so, um, you know, it's interesting this week as I talked to people about him passing, there's so many that said, I haven't listened to him in years, but I remember when he first came on and how much I enjoyed listening to him. It's, it's easy to forget now what a big deal that was back then to have um, a, a voice like that coming out of nowhere, giving voice to people that really hadn't ever had it in the, in the media landscape. And that's why, part of why he was, he was um, so important. But it wasn't just that he was conservative. It's, it's, it's that he knew how to build a community and make it fun and build out a brand and an identity. Um, and uh, it was just fun listening to him take calls all day. You think of how hard it would be to do a show where you don't really have guests, and Rush rarely had guests. Right. He was the show, and, and the callers were the show. It was the, the community that he had built, um, and uh, it was just a lot, of, a lot of fun the way he, he, he built that out. Um, and it was, it was a deal. I remember listening to it as a kid and really enjoying it and discovering, you know, political ideas for the first time through Rush because it was fun. Yeah. I, you know, Tom, I think, I think there's a big point to part of what you brought up there. And I, I remember you and I having uh, pretty explicit conversations um, with, uh, w at the start of all this. And uh, of course, Tom, we ought to, we ought to take a moment to pause to remember, because originally we started with a, with a third member of the team. Um, do you want to acknowledge him? Oh yeah, Trevor, our friend Trevor was going to come on. It didn't it, it didn't work out? I think with his schedule. Oh. He's obviously he's since passed away, and we we uh, we miss him. And uh, and uh, I, it would have been pretty awesome if it worked out for all three of us. Yeah, there there was a it was a bunch of time there. But but one of the conversations I remember as we were building it is we talked a lot about what does the for the people community look like and. I don't know that we explicitly tied it back to Rush in our discussions, but as you were describing it, it's clear that that's part of what we were trying to, to mimic 
was how do you build a, sen a, a sense of community where the expectation is that the listener's not in for just one one afternoon, but that they're going to come back the next time. And part of what I loved about uh, listening to Rush, even when I didn't agree with him, was that there was this continuity between between shows where uh, you were part of an ongoing conversation. And I, I mean, I remember us talking about this, uh, you know, in the in the 20 minutes where I'd come running over from where I was working at the time before we go on air. About all right. So what did we talk about last week, and what are we going to make sure we're? How do we keep that community going? And uh, I mean, we really, in many ways, we mimicked Rush's format. We weren't as good as Rush, but we mimicked the community he tried to build in those early days. You know, I, I still try to do that today. Uh, just, just quickly on, on to Ryan's point there. Just on to Ryan's point there quickly before we move on. Um, I've gone back, you know, over the years and listened to. Um, you know, not just shows, but periods of time where I felt that the show wandered um, away from what made it, what got me listening to Tom and Ryan <laughs> in, the, in those early, early years. <clears throat> and um, I, I realized at a certain point that the connecting thread between those, those times that did wander off that path and, and become something that I wasn't as proud to put my name on as I was other times, uh, it, it was, it was, always those times when that community got lost. Um, you know, sometimes uh, it would be a personal obsession of mine that I couldn't stop talking about, transparency, things like that. And, uh, <laughs> but the, those were the times when the show struggled. If, 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 if I let it um, get away from that exactly expressed so well by Ryan there, uh, that sense of community and that idea that you had this, even if it's just an imaginary five people in your head, if you think of them listening every day and the continuity of the show from day to day and over the years, um, it, it keeps you centered in a way that uh, yeah, I, I think directly comes from what made Russia a success. And I think the greatest example, too, look at some of the other uh, prominent conservative radio figures with the same politics, oftentimes saying the same thing, but have not caught on the way Rush did. Uh, I, there was something he did in that community, I think, was key. Well, Jason, I think uh, as your conversation has gone on, I think part of that was Russia's uh, ability to communicate, and he learned that as he grew up because he started as a radio disc jockey in Cape Girardeau, Missouri. Also, was on the air as a as a radio jock in Kansas City, and there are certain things that when you do a music format that you you do to keep that audience, you entertain. And I think that's where most of the, quote, liberal talk show hosts, and, and I'm not trying to you know, degrade them by any means, but they've forgotten that they need to be not only passionate, but entertaining. And I think all three of you mentioned the entertainment value of Rush Limbaugh, and uh, I, sure. I just enjoyed that portion of our conversation. So uh, let's go back to Tom. Tom, uh, when did For the People go on the air, and how did you get such a program that at times in Logan, Utah, and Cache Valley was a little <laughs> bit, com uh, you know, com it was controversial, and you guys had to struggle at times to stay on the air. Tell us the story about getting how difficult it was to get the program on the air. Well, um, I have always loved radio. <laughs> 
from when I was a little kid. I remember uh, in my house growing up, either KBNU or KSNL was always on. Mm-hmm. And I remember uh, we were, I was in a uh, carpool in elementary school. And so every morning, uh, <laughs> I remember listening to Al Lewis in the morning uh, as we went to school and Paul Harvey. And uh, I, I enjoyed that. And then when I was in high school, I'll just, if I could give a shout out to all of my favorite radio shows, if that's okay. Yeah, that's fine. Um, Go for it. <laughs> I had a, I had like a little clock radio and at night the AM band picks up stations <laughs> that were far away. And I oh. loved listening to a show called Ask Mr. KFI. It was a guy that, um, it was on late at night. It was a local show in LA on KFI, which was 50,000 watts at the time. And, uh, the show was just people calling and asking him questions, and it was so fun. He he also had a lot of insider lingo for the community, and um, and it was just a blast. It wasn't an explicitly political talk show, and one of the things the way that he would describe radio was he he'd say this is the modern day campfire, and I always uh, that always stuck with me because I thought that's true, and I still mm-hmm. do. Yeah. Radio is the modern-day campfire. It's where we get together as humans to share our experience and our ideas, and, it, and, it, and it's done in a way that can't be duplicated by any other medium. There is no other medium that is the modern-day campfire. Anyway, about 1997, Mr. KFI got canned and became Mr. KABC, which was very sad because KABC could not be picked up at night in Logan, Utah. Right. Uh, and they replaced him with Phil Hendry. And this is before Phil Hendry was syndicated. So Phil Hendry was just a local show on KFI late at night. And you guys have all heard Phil Hendry, right? Mm-hmm. You're, you're familiar with? Okay. And I would just die laughing every night. Because night after night, he'd have these fake characters on. And caller after caller would just fall for the nonsense. And it was just, just so much fun to listen to. And he was such a, an act. And again, that was not a, a political show, but I love that. And then, of course, um, the other shows that I loved growing up on talk radio were Art Bell, which is not a political show. Right. From from Over the Hump and Perump. Okay. <laughs> Over the Hump and Perump. And that show got a little um, strange every once in a while, too. Yeah. Uh, yeah that show started, started strange. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. And then um, I enjoyed listening to uh, uh, this, this goes way back, but. I don't know um, if you were in Utah at the time, but KSL used to have Doug Wright and then a guy named Bob Lee. Right. And I, and I loved listening to Bob Lee. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and they eventually fired him for who knows what, because he was pretty good. And they made Doug Wright do mornings and afternoons, which was crazy. That he, had to, he had like five hours a day Oof. on KSL for a lot of years. But anyway, so I loved radio always. Um, and... Uh, and in college, I wanted to I, I wanted to work at the radio station in Logan, and with not any expectations that I'd ever be on air, I just kind of was curious as to what was going on down there behind the scenes. Like, how was it? How did it happen? What was the, what was it like behind the scenes? What are the mechanics of this operation? And so I went down and applied. I can't remember if there was an actual opening or not, but I, I met with Al, and it was like five minutes and I said, look, I, I don't care if you pay me. If you need a guy to come in overnight and scrub out the toilets, I'll do it. I just want to see, 
I just want to see what's going on down here. Um, and he probably thought that was a little bit weird. And, uh, and so nothing happened with it. And about six months later, they called me up and said, hey, we need somebody to uh, come in and, uh, and uh, run the, the, the boards on KVNU in the morning, on Saturday mornings. Right. And I said, I said, okay, I'll do that. And they said, well, you've got to be here at 5. <laughs> and and they bring you in, and there's there's actually quite a bit even on a Saturday morning that has to be done on an AM radio station. Mm-hmm. Um, even with all of the computers and the automations and things, there's quite a bit of work that has to be done. There's another weather reading, and there's some some logging things you have to do with commercials. And and then they said, and by the way, you'll you'll read the news on Saturday morning with Jenny Christensen and. and and Logan, Jenny Christensen, who has passed away now, was just a legend, uh, probably the greatest journalist in the, uh, the history of, of Cache Valley. And so I was in college, and I went down there for the first week to get trained, and I got there at 5 like I was supposed to. Will Philwright was there to train me because he'd been doing the mornings and was more than happy to have somebody else come in and, <laughs> and relieve him of his Saturday morning duties. And there was Jenny Christensen, who was dressed to the nines. She was dressed like she was ready to go and ask questions at the White House press conference. And, uh, and she took her job seriously. That showed up by the fact of how she dressed. And she was so gracious to me when I knew nothing and helpful. And so for about a year, I would go in on Saturday mornings and run the boards and uh, do the news with Jenny. Jenny would read the local news and then I would just read like the, the stuff off the wire and, um, and give the weather. And it was just a lot of fun. I looked forward to seeing her every week because she and I always had such rich conversations. Um, and uh, I was getting paid, you know, minimum wage, but it was such a great and positive experience um, that I was having. Anyway, so, um, the great thing, the number one way to get hired in radio is to be there. Mm-hmm. Yes, <laughs> uh, and, and, and my story is really that truth. Uh, they needed somebody, you know, to come in and, and run boards for high school games, and so I was willing to do that. And then they needed somebody to uh, fill in on the sports show at night. So I did that, and eventually they let me um, do the sports show with them. Even though you know I'm not, I'm, I'm a sports fan, but I don't have the deep knowledge of most of the sports guys on radio by by any means. Anyway, so the, the thing about that sports show was it ran concurrent with the sports season at Utah State, which was the school year, which meant in the summer there was no sports show. And so I went to the program director Al Lewis, and I said, "Look, you've got this hour here that was local." And, um, and it looks like, uh, it's going to, uh, you're just going to put syndicated stale programming on. Why not let me take a crack at doing a temporary show in the summer? And, uh, he said, sure. (laughs) And then we tried to come up with a name and Al Al came up with a name for the people. I thought that's a good name. So we, that's what we called it. And the original idea was going to be, it was just going to be a, like a temporary summer thing. Yeah. But 
we did our first show live from the Cache County Republican Convention. And uh, to my great surprise, when Ryan and I extended an invitation to Senator Hatch, he agreed to come on. He was our first guest, Senator Orrin wow. Hatch. So, yeah, it was kind of a cool, <laughs> kind of a cool thing to want to have a show. All right. And then number two, have have Orrin Hatch come on as the uh, the first uh, guest, and he was gracious with his time, and was actually always really. Um, gracious in the future too he, he was on our show many times oh, yeah. uh, frequently um, and 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 I give him credit for that because there's other politicians that would blow us off uh, not because uh, who knows why I think because Logan's not that big compared to the rest of the state so there's not a lot of incentive to come on and two I think there's some politicians that just saw giving interviews as um, it, things could only go wrong, right? So, and I'll tell you the number one example of that was John Huntsman. John Huntsman just did not ever want to come on our show, never. And it was really frustrating. Wouldn't return phone calls, wouldn't return emails. And I, I suspect looking back on it now, he was probably looking at it and saying, look, I got a 65 or 75, 70% approval rating. I don't need to go on the radio. And the only thing that can happen with me going on and doing an interview is things go bad, right? I say yeah. something stupid or it blows up in my face. Anyway, Ryan and I, you know, o over time started to get really irritated with governor Huntsman, that he was blowing us off. And so finally, I don't know if this was the right move or not, but after this is after a year, a year and a half of him just blowing us off. I said, look, you guys don't even give us the courtesy of a response. So, Here's the monologue I'm giving tonight. And the monologue was, here's, here's all the times we try to get John Huntsman, and he apparently doesn't give two craps about Cash Valley. Woo. Well, we got a call. We, we got a call about for, 10 minutes later saying that the governor was available for, for to record an interview. And that, yep. and that was the one time we interviewed John Huntsman. Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember that, that, that day, Tom. But, uh, so one of the interesting things is, of all the elected officials we ever interviewed, I think Orrin Hatch was among the most generous with his time. Um, he was also moderately terrifying because he, there were times when he would pull up to the station. He he shouldn't. There were times when, you know, we we're all going to end up old and we ought not be driving. But he'd pull up in the big Lincoln, and it was uh, it was always a little interesting when, uh, when when Senator Hatch would drive himself to the interview, and he did multiple times. Um, we're looking out there going, okay, the Senate, pro tem of the Senate's here. Um, and <laughs> it's just him. And I think he might have bumped the building. <laughs> well, he, he, he never lost his edge, though. He, no. the, we, we had, the first time I had an opportunity to interview him, um, uh, Tyler Riggs was, was still uh, part of the show. And we had this all planned out. We, we'd almost scripted out these questions. And we were going to, he had, He'd kind of taken some liberties with some labor statistics in the national media, and we were going to pin him down on this and put ourselves on the map. And we had this entirely planned out segment by segment, and we introduced him. He said, hi, thank you for coming, and he steamrolled us for an hour. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. He, he was so oh, smooth. <laughs> oh, 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 yeah, you, you, you don't interview Orrin Hatch. Orrin Hatch comes, and he gives you a, yeah. he gives a talk. He tells you what you're going to ask. <laughs> he 
he's just around. You guys are going to Tim Russert. I can this was not in my back. <laughs> he, he was good. Though. He 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 came, he came off as so affable at night. He didn't come off as aggressive or uh, you know evasive. I just always really appreciated that he was willing to come on. Or yeah, well, I, the entire the entire community was uh, in the center of my lifetime as well liked by no, and and yet, Tom, it wasn't even that he would just jump on the phone to interview. We had him in studio a number of times. Right. Uh, if he was in Logan, he was generally willing to stop by and and talk to us. Yeah. No. He his wife was from is from up in the area, and his mother in law was around uh, in that era. It was, but it was it was a wonderful time. Um, so so Tom sort of underplayed, uh, I think, his strategy and how further people got started because. Because Tom was plotting, uh, wanting to be on air more than I think he's owning up to here. Um, uh, because he was very excited. And I still remember when uh, when Al finally told him he could do the replacement show, the giddiness when Tom called to talk to me was just incredibly exciting. And we we talked it, and we managed to, we went, we're going to do it, we did it live from that Republican convention. And um, it was I, I, I was skeptical. I'm like, all right, we're going to see how this goes. This is probably going to be a disaster. And for some reason, the show worked. Um, in part, it worked because Tom and I play well off of each other. I mean, we only had to go to breakfast at Angie so that we could speak to each other, I don't know, what, once every couple of months, Tom? <laughs> That's probably right. But but the it worked, and it worked in part because Tom and I bring brought very different ways of looking at local politics and policy to 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 the program, and uh, the fact that it, we kept it mostly local, um, and how and if we talked about national things, it was how does that relevant to the local community, um, and that's part of I think what made it work that summer. I was going to say I remember when when you guys were just starting this, I was just starting uh, with the Cash Valley Media Group and. I remember, Tom, you coming into my studio one day and uh, you were asking me uh, just some advice. And, I, you know, I'm going, I don't do talk radio. I've done it once a couple of times down in Salt Lake City, but not a whole lot. I just remember telling you that to, to try to make sure that you get a local slant on anything you do. And I think that was your strength. And I think that's Jason's strength, the current host of For the People. And uh, I, I think when you're talking to community uh, basically of 100,000 people. That's not like a lot of people, but in radio markets, that's pretty small. But I think you serve that community. But I wanted to ask real quickly that controversial subject that you got on the air and you talked about and that you had kind of backfire on you. Was there any kind of uh, thing like that, Tom? Well, there were times that there were a couple of local elected officials that were miffed with us. Um, and you do have to be, that, that can be a little bit dicey in a local market. I will say to the credit of um, uh, Ken Franson, who was the owner, and Al Lewis, I never felt like um, they were going to turn on us or throw us under the bus by any means. I felt like we had their total loyalty. And I tried to respect that too. Um, you know, there, 
uh, you know, maybe Ryan can jump in with some specific ones. I'm kind of drawing a blank. I know that I don't know that I even want to name the names of the elected officials because Logan's a small town. It's still my hometown. Right. Um, but there were there were people that that didn't appreciate um, when we would criticize them or an idea that they had. Uh, and, and some of that is just because Logan is smaller. I, I don't think you'd run into that problem in the same way in a, in a bigger city like Las Vegas or Salt Lake. But maybe you yeah. humans are humans. None of us like to be criticized. Yeah, uh, I mean, so, so Tom, I, I think one of the interesting. So I, I don't, I can't come from the time when it backfired in a major way. I mean, I can think of the number of times when we got reminded to behave slightly better. I mean, I think I can only come up with once. Um, and uh, it was a think about what you say before you say it kind of discussion, which was exactly the right way to handle it, right. um, because it made us think about it. But uh, one of the things that was different about what we were doing in those early days and that Jason has really continued was um, because in part because Jenny was the consummate journalist and we were not journalists at all. Local officials were really used to uh, KBNU's news department. Um, being this incredible, um, just reporting the facts and doing it extraordinarily well. And so when a, when a talk show came on the air where people had opinions and were going to share their opinions on, the, on sort of the news of the day as opposed to just reporting the facts, I think that was a, an adjustment for some elected officials. It certainly was an adjustment for uh, some county officials, some folks in Logan City, because it, it represented, I think, a bit of a change in how they had to think about about the local media area because we were um, we were young Tom and we were brash and we were having a ball and um, I we were interested in I, I mean I was interested in, in better public policy as a result and I think you were as well but uh, it was a, a very different scenario I think for a lot of elected officials and over time by and large they got used to it. I mean yeah. I, I think about one of the former county attorneys who um, I had conflict with on a number of issues. Um, but one of the things he figured out quickly was he'd come on, he would engage, and that and that ended up working really well for him over the longer run. Um, but yeah. uh, I think it was a, a big difference for a lot of the local elected officials because it was something so different than what they'd experienced before. This past year with the pandemic and all the social unrest and then you had the unrest with uh, politics and now social media is so prevalent in what is going on in the debate going on in this country. People are going to have different opinions. And even though you might not agree with them, you've got to come on the air and, and respect that opinion. With today's po uh, political climate, social media, the social unrest that we've had in the past year, how is that affecting talk radio now? I think it's probably made it somewhat more difficult, although I, sometimes we have this nostalgia bias because we, Tom and I were on the air during the George W. Bush administration, uh, a not non-controversial time where a whole bunch of things were going on um, that was were fairly intense opinions. But I think that one of the big differences is the rise of social media that um, little clips from a, a podunk radio show serving a small market uh, it has the, the potential, at least, to go uh, fairly viral and widespread. And so I think there's lots of consideration that has to be done about that. And then you layer on to it uh, the, the even more extreme 
sort of opinions that have been solidified over the last few years, I would imagine it's, it's probably difficult. Um, I also think it would be incredibly fun, but uh, I imagine we'd have, we'd be, Tom, I, you, you can pipe in on this, but I imagine we'd be thinking long and hard about these things. I'm mostly thinking about our interaction with uh, one former state senator that ended up going a little bit viral um, and how that would play out if something similar were to happen today. I think it would be a, a measurably different scenario. Um, yeah, I, I actually, I, I think one of the sad things about talk radio right now, Dave, is the lack of non-political shows. Um, I, I love political talk radio and I still listen to it, but there just aren't a lot of um, quirky shows anymore. You know, I mentioned I loved listening to Mr. KFI and Phil Hendry and Art Bell. Those are not political shows. Um, and so in terms of creativity, I think it's a little bit sad that we don't have um, more, more fun, if you will. And maybe there's room now for that. Maybe people are so exhausted by the polarization, they'd be ready for the next Phil Hendry or the next Mr. KFI. Um, and maybe that could go somewhere. The other thing, I think it would be really hard to be on, on the air today. I, I wish Jason was still on because Jason does such a good job. I mean, think about this. He is a left of center talk show host on the station that has Rush Limbaugh and Sean Hannity in Utah. Right. And uh, people mm -hmm. love him. Yeah. Right. They do. <laughs> I they mean, really do. I'll give, I, I'll give you, you know, an example. My mom listens to KVMU. She always has. She had it on when I was a kid. And she says this to me all the time. She says, I don't agree with what Jason says, but he's just so nice. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and she talks about Jason. I, I think she might have met Jason once or twice ever. Maybe not, though. But she talks about Jason like she's, she and Jason are friends, and that's what the medium is all about. And so I, I really admire the way Jason has um, been able to operate in this very difficult time because we've become so polarized and one of the things that's hard is that it's not merely that we have different ideas that we've we've internalized our political beliefs as part of our identity and that makes having a disagreement even harder uh, because when somebody contradicts what we believe we feel like it's an affront to the essence of who we are and what we believe in and so for jason to be able to do what he's done and continues to do is a real feat um, and I, I just have just so much admiration for it and appreciation. And I like, I like listening to him. And I think part of the reason it works for Jason is that he doesn't shove it down your throat. There's not a point when he, you feel like it's coming off as abrasive or condescending or, uh, or, or of that nature. And so I wish there was more Jason's on the earth, I guess was what I'm saying. Yeah, I yeah, do too. I, you, Go ahead, Ryan. You know what I, yeah, you know what I find interesting. So, so two things. One of which is Tom and I are going to have a disagreement, as would as should be expected. If anyone ever listened to us, heaven knows we disagreed on air a lot. But I'll get to that in a second. But I think there's a a piece of what Tom's saying that's really important, and that is that um, while we while for the people in the beginning was I would call it a local policy show as a as opposed to a political show. Um, but we also ended up doing all these sort of interesting things around um, that because the community was interested 
in something more than just those policy questions. And that's part of what really worked. And I think one of the things that radio is struggling with is the proliferation um, of the podcast genre, um, where a lot of those quirky style shows have migrated. Mm -hmm. um, and that's a real, I think, issue for, uh, for AM radio, talk radio in particular, is uh, there's a whole new set of competitors in the marketplace that, um, that they're having to struggle and cope with. Now, now we'll get to the place where I disagree with Tom a little bit, because uh, I, I think we always have internalized these things, but now everybody has a megaphone to shout, when, to shout at each other when, when we disagree um, or when somebody says something that we find an affront. Because I, I, I distinctly recall um, throughout the period when we were first starting and then through um, the Obama presidency, that these sort of things, the roots of these things go back quite a ways, but now the megaphone for social media and other things have made it so um, that identity is always front and center in front of people, even though I think that identity had been developing in the American political culture for a long time. And, uh, and that's a place where I think there's, I mean, I have pretty, pretty grave concerns as a student of political science about this, because if it's all if the megaphone's always out front, there's there's never a moment where you can put the megaphone down and actually talk to each other. Hmm. And that's what things like what Jason does, I think, is really useful because it creates a space for people to talk and to actually have a discussion. He does a great job with that. Tom, I wanted to ask you quickly to a two part question. The state of talk radio in Las Vegas. Now I love Las Vegas, but I usually drive right through on the way to Laughlin, Nevada, and that's where I spend a lot of my time when I'm on vacation. And a good friend of mine named uh, Gary Chandler uh, did do a talk show in Bullhead City, and he invited me to be on a couple of times. And inevitably, we would talk about someone from the area that is making news now in Las Vegas, and that's Senator Harry Reid. Now, on the talk show with my friend Gary, uh, we would uh, all of a sudden they would find out that I'm from Utah and I shared a religious affiliation with him that all these Mormons came out of the woodwork calling Gary's radio show asking me questions about Senator Harry Reid. And I bring that up right now because there's a, a news story out of Las Vegas right now where there's a movement to change the name of McCarran Airport to Harry Reid. Is that very controversial there? It is very controversial, uh, both because Senator Reid is controversial and because there are, you know, a, a lot of other worthy candidates. Um, and so some of the some of the discussion is about um, do we always need to name things after politicians and donors? Uh, it's a fair question. Yeah. Um, you know, so I don't have any. I, I, I'm not against Senator Reid, but um, if it were my choice, I'd, I'd ask that the airport be named after Helen Stewart. Las Vegas is one of the few and perhaps only major city in America that was really founded by a woman. And she is such an interesting figure because she went from running a ranch in the middle of the Mojave Desert to um, setting up the public schools after the city was founded and being the postmaster and instituting some of the first arts programs in, in, in the city of Las Vegas. There's more to the story than that, obviously, but, um, 
But anyway, that's kind of getting off on a, a side tangent. But yeah, that's been a, a, a controversial thing. Now, the state of talk radio in Las Vegas, uh, this, is, this is a topic that makes me a little bit sad. <laughs> we have some very talented uh, local talk show hosts, uh, the, the, the most talented being uh, Alan Stock. I don't know if you've if you ever listened to Alan Stock. No, I haven't. Alan Stock is he's a, he's amazing, really a talented guy. But the problem in Las Vegas is there isn't a tremendous demand for talk radio. Um, and of all the major American cities, if you go look at the ratings, talk radio does the worst in Las Vegas of any Amer- major American city. In most American cities, Dave, as you know, the, 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 the talk radio station has the best ratings. That's true. And in Las Vegas, you know, talk radio comes in around 10. I haven't looked at it in a little while, but it's, uh-huh. it's always been fairly stable. And I think that's probably a, a, a function of a few things. The first being this is a very transient city, and as we talked about, talk radio is about community. And if you don't have community, it's really hard to build a talk radio audience. Um, and then the second thing is, uh, you know, I, I just think people here are just not interested in, in politics. And so that makes it really hard as well. They've had a number of attempts here to, um, do a full, uh, news talk station, uh, KXNT about five or six years ago, mm-hmm. tried to do a, 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 a true news talk station commercial and it lasted a couple of years and folded under bad ratings so we have a couple of talk radio stations but they're not news talk stations they're just talk radio if that makes sense yeah and they they have very limited local programming now i'm going to take you back a few years when i first moved to to uh cash valley which was 26 years ago i was traveling a lot when i didn't have a job i was uh interviewing at a few of the stations in Las Vegas. And I did have some offers down there, but they didn't pay worth it. You know what down in Las Vegas. But I remember one talk radio station that I always would tune in. And I believe it was AM 1230 and it didn't last very long. It was casino talk. And it was nothing but ads (laughs) about casinos and how to play blackjack. And then they come on and they, they would have talk shows about the the betting line on sports bets. Then they'd have a little talk show about how to play a seven-card stud. And, you know, I I found that so fascinating. But a lot of it was on a loop. So if you listen more than an hour, you know, it was going to repeat and repeat and repeat. I think it lasted about two years in Las Vegas. But I I remember always wanting to tune in to see what they were going to be talking about because I kind of like going to the casino a little bit myself every once in a while. So, <laughs> although I don't play I, I, live I, poker like you guys, so. the uh, I, that that radio station—I don't remember the the the, the uh, call number, the uh, call letters—but I think it actually was around for many years, and it was designed for tourists. There's air checks. I'm I'm, I'm nerding out on both radio and Las Vegas here, but there are air checks on YouTube. Uh, from that station, and I, I'm pretty sure it went back into the 70s. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they, you know, they promote shows and you know, have the betting lines and explain games, talk about restaurants and things. Mm-hmm. And using radio in that way is now sort of obsolete because we now have apps for things like that. But you know, in a pre-internet world, 
a pretty effective way to uh, reach tourists coming in from out of town. Um, there is, sorry, not not to completely nerd out on you, uh, Dave, but there are a couple of, I will note a couple of really important and interesting things about uh, Las Vegas Radio. One is Las Vegas Radio, I believe on K KDWN, was where Art Bell got started. Mm -hmm. um, and that's significant. Uh, he, he, he got started by doing a local overnight talk show here in Las Vegas that then um, obviously took off in huge ways. And then the other thing I'll mention is that um, I always thought that, thought that this was fascinating. Um, K-Don used to have its studios in the Plaza Hotel on Fremont Street. Right. Uh, and I always, yeah, I always thought that was kind of a cool, a cool Vegas thing that the, uh, the, uh, the top 40 station, which it was at the time was, was broadcasting out of the middle of a casino. And that uh, is where, that many, many, many and the plaza ago. is where my cousin who lives in Henderson met his wife, who was a, 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 a lounge singer at the, at the plaza. And that's where they met. So the plaza has a, oh, cool. a soft, a soft place in my heart. So. Yeah, yeah, that, that's very cool. But uh, anyway, there's 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 a there's a rich history in Vegas. I, I wish there was I wish there was uh, a, a greater demand or appreciation for uh, a, a true news talk station, but there just isn't. That makes me sad. Now, uh, Ryan, uh, you're in Fargo, North Dakota, and a friend of mine used to work in Fargo at their uh, news talk outlet there. How because North Dakota is is so unique with the oil industry there, and then the bitterly cold winters and and then tourism during the summer. Uh, what is going on in Fargo, North Dakota? You get a chance to listen to some of the news talk there. Yeah, I listen to a fair bit of the news talk. Uh, Fargo is an interesting place because it has a pretty robust uh, news talk. There's a couple of stations that do uh, news that do a fair bit of news talk. Um, it's uh, not unusual, so I work with a center here in Fargo for um, those news talk to be working with the, uh, the folks that I work with to ask questions about the North Dakota economy. And um, so I haven't been on the AM radio station here, but a number of my colleagues have done interviews. They study more macroeconomic um, indicators for the economy as a whole. And uh, yeah, they do they do a fair number of those interviews, and it's a fairly robust market. Um, what's fascinating is that you, as you get across North Dakota, um, the spaces are wide open, and so uh, signals broadcast a long ways across the open plains. Um, and yet, there's a relatively large number of stations broadcasting in rural North Dakota. One of my favorite things to do is, as I'm driving it to the various parts of the state, if I'm out and about, is tuning in to to a number of those stations, and uh, there's lots of interesting local talk radio going on. Lots of syndication, but if you catch the moment where the talk radio is uh, their lo their local show, there's interesting stuff happening. Well, I think that is uh, fascinating. I I think talk radio is uh, probably one of the the formats that radio needs to lean on. As Tom, you talked about most major markets. Uh, the number one station overall is usually a talk uh, a talk uh, station, but uh, I, I wanted yeah, to I wanted to thank both of you guys so much for taking time to be on Radio Guy Reflections. And like I said, uh, you know, I have a great respect for what you guys went through and what you did uh, to bring a, a show like that to Little Cache Valley. 
And I wanted to ask one quick question. When you were talking about Senator, no, it wasn't Senator Hatch, it was uh, John Huntsman. Did you ever find no. that people didn't take you seriously because you were in Logan and not in Salt Lake City? Um, no, I, 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 for most people, it didn't matter. And in fact, we were able at times to get some pretty big national figures to come on the show. Good. Um, if you remember back in the Bush era, there was a, a, a woman named Cindy Sheehan mm-hmm. who, um, <laughs> who was protesting George W. Bush. She had really tragically lost her son in Iraq. We got her to come on. I don't even remember what I asked her, but it, the first question she hung up on us. Oh. <laughs> yeah, but wow. live on air. So that was kind of a it was kind of an awkward moment. But, uh, but if we it's aw- if, awkward and awesome at the same time, uh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, so, but you know, if, if 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 somebody was in the news and we could find them, they'd usually be willing to come on. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, they were pretty good about it. I mean, I I think that, because I think I agree with Tom on that, and part of that was relatively early on we had, we made made a couple of pretty good-sized slashes that um, I think um, indicated we were were to be taken seriously, and um, that owes both to the reputation that the other folks at KVNU had brought and to the fact that this wasn't a, a fluff show. It was talking about real issues and real things, and... One of the nice things is most elected officials gravitate to that format rather than than other formats, especially when they knew. Um, I, one of the things I heard a lot from elected officials is they knew that the questions would be tough. We would probably not agree with them, but we would let them talk and actually explain themselves. And that I, I still think is a recipe for both interesting and productive talk radio. So uh, yeah. I wanted I wanted to Can say I... one thing. To, go ahead, Tom. I'll, then I'll, yep. I'll wrap things up. Oh. So I, I, I have to throw one story in because I just Go thought you asked earlier if we ever got into trouble. And I do think I did think of one story. I'll be real fast. Go ahead. So back when the show started, KVNU did not have a dump button. Oh. <laughs> um, yeah, we, we are responsible for the dump button. Yes. <laughs> and, and, and I went to I went to the owner, Kent. And I said, I said, Kent, I really think we should get a dump button. You know, I'm a little bit nervous. Uh, uh, riding here without training wheels, it's uh, a little bit, a little bit scary because somebody could become upset and say something and put your license at risk. And so he said, "You know what, Tom? You're right. Let's let's go ahead and order. Let's go order a dump button. It's just like a just a piece of electrical equipment. It just puts it puts the show on delay, obviously. Mm-hmm. And if you need to get rid of something, you hit the button. It brings it live and it skips over about thirty seconds. Anyway." So Kent orders it, and it shows up, all right, and it uh, and it's literally brought into the studio, and it's going to be installed the next day. I'm not making this up. The next day. And that night we had a show. I don't even remember what we were talking about, but this lady calls up, and we'll call her, and she says. You know, she's getting really worked up, and it's some political discussion. And she says to us, if you guys don't understand that, we're all in deep-ass trouble. <laughs> and Bill Walter, 
Bill Walter was running the board and just about <laughs> fell out of his chair because <laughs> it went over the air in Logan, Utah. <laughs> and that's not why we got in trouble. Nope. That's not why we got we had no We had no control over that. Uh-huh. So the next day, it's installed, and we get on the air, and we're kind of kidding about it. And we say, look, we're going to name the new dump button Jane. <laughs> and so we were laughing about it. Somebody came in with like a little label maker and put Jane on the uh, <laughs> on the on the dump button. We're say you know talking to Bill. Hey, is Jane up and running well? And uh, and Bill says yeah. And so the next day, Kent, the owner, who, who by the way, I mean Kent Branson for anybody that doesn't know him, this is a guy that's been on air, done sales done engineering and done management. He was like one of the few people in America that's an expert on all dimensions of radio. And he was always so gracious to us in providing feedback. But he kindly pulls me aside the next day into his office, wraps his arm around, and he says, Tom, I got a call from Jane, and she's really sad. <laughs> it was crying because you guys named the dump button after her. Let's, let's not continue that. <laughs> well, you know, oh, guys. You know, guys, when I worked for a radio station in uh, Idaho that was owned by the same management group, we had a situation like that during one of those tradeo programs where people call in and sell their their items. And mm-hmm. it was a, a yeah. young lady who was running the show. And all of a sudden, I'm at my desk. I have the radio on. And I hear this string of profanities that... <laughs> people in the Navy would say, yeah, that man knows how to, <laughs> to say a few words and put them in, in an order. And I was, I was absolutely flabbergasted. I ran into the control room. I took the collar off the air and I put a song on because the young lady who was running the show was mortified, <laughs> mortified. I mean, the look on her face, the, and I felt so bad for her because, you know, it's in Blackfoot, Idaho, and Mr. <laughs> Franson happened to be there that day. And oh, no. I, and I oh, ran no. into the office and said, we need a tape delay. <laughs> and he said, no. <laughs> he said, so you you got one up on me there, brothers. You got one well, up well, on me. <laughs> well, that, that's, that's because I'm sure can't recognized that you could be responsible, but he was never certain that Tom and I would be 100% and he wanted And he wanted Bill to be able to dump us. Well, you know, knowing, knowing you guys, I would like to dump you too. So, no, I was only serious. Uh, no, I was just going to say, yeah, that's, uh, I mean, there's a number of those sort of stories. Uh, part of the thing I loved about it was it's one of the best jobs I've ever had. And uh, if I could figure out how not to starve to death doing it at the same time, do the same thing. I I'd be right back in there with Jason, but uh, but it, you probably shouldn't have your favorite job in your twenties, Tom. Yep, that's true. <laughs> well, you know, I I consider myself blessed. I started in high school in nineteen seventy, actually nineteen seventy four, and I worked in in radio until just this past year when I was laid off. And it's one great profession, but it does not pay very well. I'll tell you that right now. But, guys, I wanted to thank you for joining me and having such a, a passionate discussion about not only Rush Limbaugh, but the state of talk radio today. I have found this absolutely fascinating. 
And I th- this is what I see Radio Guy Reflections being, is guys that have been in radio are in radio talking about something we believe so passionately in. I, I just thank you both. Well, thank you for Thanks, having David. us on. That's great. Yeah, I, I look forward to listening to more of these episodes. I've really enjoyed them so far. They've been great. Okay. In, yeah. in the future, we have some plans to uh, to get a major radio publication, magazine. A representative will be talking to us there. We're also going to be talking to Scott Gerard, the voice of the Utah State Aggies. Uh, and the Utah, mm. uh, he's going to join us. He's the Utah Sportscaster of the Year for 2020. And a great guy, and I actually gave Scott his first job in radio and helped him learn how to be a sportscaster. I didn't teach him everything, but because he's done a great job in the future. And then we're going to talk to other people in the future about radio formats, music formats, how technology has changed radio, and and hopefully I can get somebody from Billboard magazine. That's what I'm working on right now, and how the charts affected the development of radio in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. So, guys, once again, I, I think it's a fascinating uh, uh, situation that we have going on here with podcasting, and I think it's basically going to be an offshoot of talk radio, and I, I really do appreciate you guys joining me. Yeah, thank you, Dave. Thanks, Dave. And that's Radio Guy Reflections, a podcast about radio and the people behind the microphone. In future podcasts, we'll look at what makes us successful and sometimes a train wreck of a radio show. As we say in the radio business, if you put that on the radio, people will listen to it. We'll talk with people who started in radio and moved on to success in other fields. Radio Guy Reflections will be back soon with another show about radio and the men and women who produce the radio programs you've loved to listen to. Radio Guy Reflections is a production of Dave's Voice Works.